Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Donna Jackson Nakazawa is an award-winning journalist and internationally recognized speaker whose work explores the intersection of neuroscience, immunology, and human emotion. Her mission is to translate emerging science in ways that help those with chronic conditions find healing. Her new book, Girls on the Brink, helping our daughters thrive in an era of increased anxiety, depression, and social media, is now available. How do we dial down on the chronic unpredictable stress in girls' lives? And that, I think, is very empowering. It's tough to be a teenager. It's especially tough for girls who are more vulnerable to depression than boys. New research shows that's getting even worse. Basic epidemiologists told us for a long time that after puberty, something switches. And girls develop depression and anxiety and self-harm at much higher rates than boys. What about social media? How big of a part of your lives is social media? I love Very social big. media. You, any of you ever question your body because of what you see on social media? I've been so focused on just like not eating past seven. Hi, I'm Donna Jackson Nakazawa. I'm an author and journalist. And I'm passionate about girls' mental health and sharing the latest neuroscience so we can help girls thrive in these challenging times. Sorry, not sorry. Donna, thank you so much for being here. And before we start, will you just tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are? Yes. So I am a science journalist and I look at gnarly big ideas. Often my bailiwick comes down to that intersection of what's happening in the science world, particularly neuroscience and psycho neuroimmunology, which is just a big fancy word for how your mind talks to your body, and also just our lived human emotion. And the last 10 years in neuroscience have just been groundbreaking in terms of what we're learning about how our thoughts and feelings shift everything. So I write books, I give talks, I teach, and that's what I do. I guess the place that we should start then is maybe just tell us, give us the landscape of the state of mental health for girls in America. We have seen over the past decade that rates of depression and anxiety for girls are skyrocketing, 
not only that, they're rising much faster among girls than they are among boys. Now, I just want to be clear. All of our kids are struggling. Look at the world we've given them. Why the heck wouldn't they be? But when we start to see these rates doubling and tripling for girls and not rising as rapidly for boys, we want to know why. So we want to get that basic understanding because anyone who loves a girl or raises a girl or helps a girl, which I hope is all of us, knows that girls are suffering in unprecedented numbers. Just to throw a few quick stats off the top of my head and in the book, which we'll talk about, I devoted three pages just to growing up female by the numbers. Because when you see these numbers, you can't look away. One third of girls by 17 now cite having experienced a depressive episode in the past year. I'm not just saying they don't feel good or feel moody. I'm talking about loss of interest in activities, not sleeping too much, not sleeping at all, feeling worthlessness, guilt. And we also know that girls have a depression rate that's 2.6 times higher than boys. Also know that all of this sets in at puberty. Suddenly, depression and anxiety start to take off for girls in a way that we don't see with boys. And over a recent span of time, the CDC just reported that the suicide rate, attempts of suicide, has risen 51% for our girls compared to 4% for boys. Now, I am the mother of a daughter and a son, and I love all children. But when we begin to see that, and what did I say I do? I take on gnarly problems. We have to ask why. And so I put my shoulder behind that wheel, if you will, and spent two years talking to the greatest experts in the world to ask them that question, get those answers, and also talk about what we can do about it. Now, before I end this very long answer to your short question, guess what I found right away? After having written several books in this bailiwick, which I described, all of my research, all of my books have been based on, guess what, a male research model. When we look at how stress affects the developing brain across childhood and puberty, the set point for well-being across the lifespan, we have been looking at male research models in preclinical research. So we have only started to look at the intersection of stress on the developing brain in female models in preclinical research. The purpose of clinical research is to help understand how the human body works and how health and disease come about. So we want to understand what makes good health. I think women's participation in clinical trials is extremely important because we are have an entirely different set of issues, whether whatever body system you're working with, it's different from a man and from a child. So there are certainly differences there that we need to understand and focus and realize that are specific to women. In 2016, when the NIH asked researchers to include this information, so it takes a few years for all that to come out. I was able to report on all of it, and the results are kind of mind-boggling. 
The sick thing about that is it's not, unfortunately, it is not unlike what we see in other areas of healthcare, right? We didn't understand the effects of cholesterol and heart implications because we were only studying male subjects. So, I mean, it's shocking, obviously, but it's not that shocking. There's a lot of questions I have. Let's just talk about, I mean, we can talk numbers, but how in the daily existence of boys versus girls or boys and girls, how did your findings differ? The most powerful moment where we begin to see this shift in the way that stress and adversity affect girls and boys is, as I said, in puberty. And what is different in puberty? We think of sex hormones coming in as being all about sex and getting revved up in that thrum of excitement. And yet they do a lot more than that. So estrogen comes in and it's actually a master regulator. It's a regulating hormone. So I don't know how nerdy your listeners are, but I'll keep this as simple as possible. Estrogen is the reason why a woman can do in adulthood and after puberty everything a guy can do in a smaller body, smaller organs, smaller heart, also making room for this thing called a uterus, right? It's the reason that we can do so much on less hardware, so to speak. And the reason for that is a great evolutionary trick because estrogen allows us to make this much bigger immune response when we are facing anything from an infection to lots of stressors. And the reason that it does that is because it's there to help guard the possibility of another life one day. So for instance, to be very specific, vaccines, women produce a bigger immune response to vaccines. We are able to run a marathon super fast and be able to do that same way a guy can do it because of estrogen. However, because estrogen gives you this extra womp, it also does something in the face of social stressors. And that means that at puberty, as estrogen comes in and begins to orchestrate a complete makeover of the brain when we have overwhelming social and environmental stressors and a girl is getting the sense that she's not safe and girls aren't safe and it happens early in this developmental process the brain works a little bit like a computer system takes into account all the stressors you face all of them in front of you that day and calculates, okay, what are the odds that I am growing up and going out into the world in a world that is safe for me or unsafe? And if the answer is unsafe, that reorchestration of the brain, that rewiring of the brain happens in a way that sets girls up for depression and anxiety. We don't see that in the same way with testosterone and with male puberty because A, we didn't study it because researchers wanted to keep those pesky hormones out of it. And B, estrogen has an advanced stress immune response that it pushes forth in the face of environmental stressors. We just learned this. 
Can I tell you, this is so frustrating for me because after I had Milo, I was fine. And then I weaned from breastfeeding and my hormones went nuts. And I was diagnosed with all sorts of like generalized anxiety disorder and blah, blah, blah. But my psychologist noticed that it had to do with certain days of my cycle when my progesterone dipped. It was usually like day three of my cycle. My progesterone would dip and I would just get such horrible, debilitating anxiety until I was like five days past my period and then I'd have a good week where I'd get shit done and I'd be able to like be courageous and brave. Is postpartum depression part of a chemical imbalance? It is. It happens when you become pregnant. You have an increase in the hormones progesterone and estrogen. So those levels of chemicals are increased or um, hormones are increased and when you deliver the baby they you have a dramatic drop in those hormones and that can cause a chemical imbalance in your brain and so that is just my body knowing and me like recognizing the fluctuation of hormones and I had the best doctors and then of course once you get diagnosed with anxiety then every single thing you feel when you go to the doctor they blame on anxiety. And that happens a lot more for women than men, as you can imagine. That is right. So what part does progesterone play in all of this? I think that what we understand now is that really, speaking about estrogen, is that estrogen comes in during puberty when there has been a long history of stressors. And when there is a constant, unrelenting press of stressors, like we see in the world now, like we see the girls encountering on social media, it takes a small threat and makes it seem like a big one, which as you just pointed out, would increase your sense of anxiety. And over time, untreated anxiety is depression. Now, what's really cool about this is that we have a good understanding that this is actually a mismatch for what estrogen was originally across evolutionary time supposed to do. This is not about estrogen being bad. This is not about female hormones being bad. Not at all. What we're saying here is that in the face of unrelenting stress, which girls are facing, there can be this code shift where instead of doing good, it starts to exacerbate the negative effects of stressors. Now, why would that be? Why? Way back across evolutionary time, let's travel back to when we were hunters and gatherers. At that time, of course, and true today too, it was so crucial that we had close collaboration within the tribe. If you didn't have close collaboration, if you were dissed, if you were put down, imagine if there had been social media then, you like, dislike, all the horrible, crappy things girls hear about themselves online all the time. If you, way back then, just were being giggled about or laughed about, or maybe you thought that people weren't respecting you in some way, you actually faced physical harm. You would be at the outside of the tribe, right? Closer to predators, closer to warring tribes. And if you were ostracized, forget it, starvation, predators, 
our immune systems are super smart, even though they take forever to evolve and develop this very strong response to stress as if it were physical harm. Why? Because at some point, if social stress went on, it was physical harm, right? You wouldn't have enough food to eat. Estrogen is part of what creates that womp response. So it isn't that it's bad. It's that it is what we call an evolutionary mismatch for the times in which we live. We also know that we saw this huge increase in girls' anxiety and depression with the onset of not just social media, but the like button, all of these options on social media, which made it much more open to cultural shaming and blaming. And girls get it every which way. If they're not sexual enough, they'll never get a guy. If they are sexual, then, hey, take a look. Girls are sexualized at such an early age. And guess what happens to them? Epstein, Weinstein, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a cognitive dissonance. You have to be attractive enough to be liked, but you can't be so attractive that you're going to be in the headlines every day, which is be at risk in this very perversely early sexualizing culture that we live in. All those threats add up in a girl's brain. The thing that I wish we taught them earlier and the thing that I wish I learned earlier from my anxiety was that like, it is actually your brain doing what it's supposed to be doing. But like you're saying, it doesn't match the evolutionary process of where we are right now. Once I learned how primitive brainstem is, I felt a lot better about my body's reaction to stressors. And by the way, I would fly to New York. I would be like on Good Morning America and totally put on a happy face where inside I am like, I can't move. And through therapy, having my therapist say, you know what, that is actually a normal reaction. But flying to New York, leaving the kids, having so much pressure to make the book work or whatever, as you can relate, that is actually something that is anxiety provoking. Like that makes sense. So I feel like if we just shifted the narrative just a little bit as we're teaching girls about puberty, about that their body's going to go through changes and just spent a little bit more time on the evolutionary factor of the brain and where we are now, I feel like that alone would make such a huge difference. But I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. And I think that half of the book is devoted to what are we going to do now for girls? Because it's such a mess out there. I've heard from thousands of parents, they can't find even a therapist for their girl. For years, Mariana did not suffer alone, getting counseling from a psychiatrist who also managed her medication. But this past August, when the family moved to Milwaukee from Madison, they had a tough time finding a doctor to help treat Mariana's illness. The wait list to be seen, almost a year. There are none available. School counselors are overwhelmed. We don't have enough of them. And so I was very careful to create, based on these two years of interviews that I did with experts and public health sages and neuroscientists and girls themselves. I followed girls themselves for years to come up with these 15 antidotes that we could all agree on, every person I talked to could agree on for creating more understanding and also a deeper sense of safety for girls, not to coddle, just 
simply to bring down this stress threat response to a reasonable level in every arena of a girl's life so that she is able to go through development in a healthy way and also able to be kick butt and get out there when she's ready to stand on her own. So it is about bringing this into our dialogues about raising girls into classrooms, into the process of asking ourselves if girls are really suffering like this, suffering three times the rate of boys, doesn't that reflect on how we as a society are treating girls? If this estrogen response only sets in the face of unrelenting chronic stress, doesn't that reflect pretty badly on us as a society? So we have to figure out what we want to do differently. And there are dozens of things that we can begin to do to give girls this better foundation scaffolding for becoming the kick-butt women that they deserve to be without being riddled with this kind of anxiety and depression and feeling, as you said, just frozen in your body. That rumination you're talking about, really, where you're just stuck and unable to feel safe. And even if it makes sense in some situations, with book tours, high stress, talking to you today, I got stressed right before coming on. We all want our books to succeed and we want to help our kids pay for college, all of it. But there are things we can do. And if we don't have the conversation like you and I are having today, if we don't talk about the research, if we don't talk about the problem, we don't even get a handle on it. We just keep walking around so confused. Like, why are girls suffering? No, we need to put a name on it. We need to define it. We need to figure out what it is. We need to even move past that and get into, okay, this is a new narrative. This is what we're doing to change the paradigm. And we have to figure out how to teach not only our young girls about this, but also caretakers, teachers. I was so thrilled that Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom in the state of California, dedicated $8 billion to mental health of our youth. And he just did that last week. And I was like, wow, that is probably going to make a huge difference because there will actually be funds so that these things can be talked about. Now, we discussed the differences between girls and boys and testosterone and estrogen and when that comes in. I want to ask you, do these differences persist past childhood? And if they do, how so? Yes, they do. Very good work has been done on this in neuroimmunology. And we do see that particularly for girls who had stressors in childhood and adolescence, which include being sexualized in some way early in life or lots of humiliation or being put down a lot. Trauma, right? Like I would think even how about in families where the older child is going through puberty and they have anxiety and the younger child is watching the parents cope with that kind of anxiety, like even in the best of worlds, I don't know how we fight against that. So that kind of childhood trauma and adversity, when Girls go through puberty and then into adulthood. And, you know, women have been followed, I think, up to age 45 in one study. When you have a history of early adversity, which is two thirds of children, and those numbers are higher in girls, girls tend to face more adversity by virtue of being smaller and more vulnerable to sexual and emotional assault. Those women who 
faced early adversity still have a much bigger stress immune response in the face of stressors up to age 45. We know that long past puberty. Well, a new year, new you. Women's health is under the microscope this morning. 43% of women say that stress and anxiety are main concerns to their personal wellness, according to a new survey from Everyday Health. And when I say in response to stressors, it sounds like estrogen's doing all this bad stuff. Let me be clear. Estrogen is not doing all this bad stuff. It is just one of the messengers that is telling your immune system to kick up a storm. So estrogen isn't creating this immune response. It's a messenger. It's a letter in the mailbox saying shit's coming, gear up. We have to batten down the hatches. We have to fight back. And it's that fight or flight sensation that girls often experience more of socially and emotionally by virtue of being female in our very culturally misogynistic society, but also sometimes in the home, right? And that is what creates that sense of chronic alert, hypervigilance. Come on, I lived in New York for 10 years, walking down the street, who's the guy buzzing your mailbox and just moving as a woman through this world, of course, my entire life and you two, it hasn't been safe. And add that to if you and I were 12 now and on our cell phones all day and being disliked or critiqued about our hair, skin, eyes, body, boobs, you name it, that sense of unsafety, even if we leave estrogen out of it, estrogen is just an amplifier for more of a big immune response. And that means your body is ramping up in fight flight. And that means it's ramping up inflammation. That means it's beginning to reprune and rewire the brain in negative ways. So it's a whole chain. It would take me three chalkboards to draw it out. But that's the simple truth. That stress response ups our inflammatory response and fight flight freeze. And that changes the brain and turns on genes that derail thriving. I have so many women friends who suffer from immune symptoms that have not been diagnosed at all, but they are definitely autoimmune symptoms. And this sounds like is why. So I wrote a book years ago called The Autoimmune Epidemic, which looked directly at this. And yes, so Delisa Fairweather at Mayo Clinic did this fascinating study. And she looked at the intersection of childhood adversity with autoimmune disease. And it turned out that for each category of adversity a girl faced before the age of 18, and some of which are in the home, childhood family dysfunction, as well as other stressors, her chance of not just having an autoimmune disease or symptoms, but an autoimmune disease so serious she had to be hospitalized increased by 20% for each of those types of adversity. Among men, there was an association, but it was half that. And this goes back to the estrogen, stress, threat, immune response, amping up fight, flight, freeze, amping up inflammation, turning on genes, or disease. 
And this is a whole different thing because I don't want to focus on this, but if you can concisely give an answer to why so many women after getting the COVID vaccine have had a hard time stabilizing their periods. So I'm not an expert on that. And I don't know. I honestly don't know. What I do know is that, and I report on this in the book, that women are more likely to have long COVID because of this exact thing that we're talking about. So when I said emotional stress and physical stress get same response from this stress threat system, I mean it. We talked about social media. Obviously, that seems like the obvious direction to sort of go in right now in this conversation and go a little bit more in depth. In prepping for this episode, Ben, my producer, joined a community on Reddit called Creepy PMs. Oh, my God. And in this community, which is mostly girls under the age of 18, people post screenshots of messages they get. And it is almost exclusively from men sexualizing them, begging for nude photos, and insulting them horribly when they refuse. I never thought I would be chasing child predators. It was two years ago when our team intercepted conversations between a 12-year-old girl and a 40-year-old pedophile. He wasn't just talking to her. He was abusing her, coercing her, collecting images and videos. And no one in her life, her parents, sixth grade teacher, her friends, knew what was happening. I have a sixth grader of my own. I have three kids, actually. But you don't have to be a parent to be devastated by this. I work for a tech company that uses artificial intelligence to detect issues like grooming and sexual predation. And this is something we see constantly. Just how common is sexual abuse and harassment of girls on social media? Well, we know it isn't uncommon. And what we do know is, thanks to the work of Jean Twenge, who looks into social media at girls, we do know that we start to see these super rising rates of depression and anxiety in girls who are of this cohort who grew up with social media. We don't see it. Now, we've always had slightly higher rates of depression and anxiety in girls and boys, but we didn't see this huge escalation of cases until after around 2012 when social media, as you know, added all the likes and retweets and dislikes and comments. And if you were born... After 1995, you appear to be fairly protected from this trend of escalating rates. So that tells you that those girls were around 2010, 2012, they were in the heart of adolescence. And since then, it's been a horror show in terms of the number of girls developing depression, anxiety. Now, to be clear, other stuff is going on, but I want to say this very clearly, this was happening before the pandemic. The pandemic has made it worse. There are more girls landing in hospital ERs with depression and anxiety, more girls, dramatically higher numbers of girls than boys. And the pandemic poured gasoline on an already out of control fire. And there's climate change and gun violence. A majority of kids now say they fear their school will be the next site of a mass shooting. And why wouldn't they? Exactly. And what responsibility of social media companies do you think there should be? Should social media companies fight this? I think that there is 
great room here for social media, the heads of social media companies to see these escalating rates and to care about how girls feel on their sites. We shouldn't need to have all of this research for people to take action. I believe that. I believe like it should be enough to know that our girls are flailing and suffering and struggling and landing in hospital ERs, not wanting to live in record numbers. That should be enough for people to make change. But part of the reason I wrote the book is that I hope social media companies will go, wow, and now we have this mind-blowing science to really break down what's happening when we expose girls to this kind of stress. We have to take action. We shouldn't need that. We shouldn't need it. We should just know that suffering of any children is bad and we have to do something. But I think that there is room to use social media for good. I think that we can see a lot of good things on social media, but all of the good things that we do won't matter. They won't matter if your daughter is exposed to an endless stream of scrolling and despairing, of feeling shame, of having creepy guys DM her or message her or comment. All the good we do cannot stand up against the avalanche that is the toxic message that girls get from our society and nowhere more than on social media. So yes, I think they need to stand up and take responsibility. I know that Meta has said that they know that girls as young as eight are on Instagram, even though it should be 13. They're well aware. Wall Street Journal did a great series called The Facebook Files. They're well aware of what's happening to girls on their platforms. Why aren't they doing more? You and I might ask that question. You talk in your book about keeping the biological brakes engaged as a way to combat some of the toxicity and its effects. What do you mean by that? I mean that estrogen, when it comes in, when puberty comes in, and again, a girl's brain is taking in all the stressors past and present and deciding, hey, how safe is it out there? And our brain is rewiring in either positive or negative ways. Positive as in, this is a safe world and I can take it on or negative, as in anxiety, depression, I'm not safe here. In that moment, a lot of what's rolling in is social media, as we said, and lots of other exposures to being pre-sexualized in an early age. So what I mean by that is not letting your kid have a smartphone until she's 13 or 14, and you're really sure that adolescence is set in, not just puberty, but adolescence, where the brain is wiring up to make good decisions. And making that part of your family, the way your family is, not something you're telling your child to do, but hey, we as a family, we don't have smartphones until we're until you turn 14. And on top of that, the adults modeling that, not living with their smartphones at the dining room table and putting them away and a lot of this has to do with conversations. And then when social media comes in, asking your kids questions, why do you think she posted that? Or what do you think she was feeling? Or 
What do you think that influencer looks like in those moments outside of when she's posting? What do you think went into this and having what we call media literacy? So there are hundreds of ways that we can approach this. There are scripts that we can use with our daughters to help break down what they're seeing. But this can also include things like being clear with your daughter about the kind of posing that girls do, like at parties, on smartphones. What was that trend very recently called Barbie toes, where girls were all kicking off their shoes, getting on their tiptoes and pretending they had on fake glass Barbie shoes. Coming at those things with open, safe conversations at home and putting up those breaks on that biological shift toward the stress threat response overtaking a girl's development. Can you just discuss a little bit the difference between puberty and adolescence? Yeah, great question. So puberty is really when this hormonal shift occurs. Adolescence is when the brain wires up and the prefrontal cortex begins to wire up. Good decision-making starts to come in. And what's happening right now is that puberty is happening early and earlier in girls. Julie Strickland of Children's Mercy says girls are going through puberty earlier than ever before. Everyone is different, but Strickland says girls are starting to develop as early as seven and eight years old. That's about a year shift over the past 25 years. And that, when it happens before adolescence, when we have that kind of proper renovation going on in the house of the brain, that means that All of this rewiring is happening based merely on the stressors and the different problems that a girl is needing in our society. It means that wiring and renovation are happening too soon. And that's a real problem. And do you think that is because of the BPA being a weak synthetic estrogen and we just use more plastic now? So it's found in food and formula lining and dental sealants and all of these other things. It's interesting. We know that chronic stress is also a factor in early puberty. For instance, researchers have found that chronic stress in childhood, like kids' molars come in sooner, which is a real sign of development, right? And we also know that diet plays a large role in it. We see a large association between obesity and early puberty. This is not to go into body shaming, right? Let's not do that. It's just that there are so many shifts in how we eat, and some of them, many people do look at this estrogen receptor aspect that you're talking about, about the endocrine system, and we don't have all the answers yet. We don't have all the answers yet. Others theorize that very early sexualization of girls in itself is also helping to turn the brain on toward puberty a little bit earlier. So these are just some of the theories. But we definitely know that the more stress kids encounter, the more likely they are to start this developmental process earlier. We want the brain to be strong, sensible, make good decisions, have good judgment. So of all of this, of everything that we've discussed, what do you think is the most important thing you want parents or caregivers or teachers or pediatric therapists or pediatricians to know, you know, raising healthy, resilient girls in 2022? I think my answer might surprise you. It may sound counterintuitive. The most important thing is setting up that incredible 
art of connection with your child as a parent. It's the most important thing is creating at home because it extends out from there this sense that your child can come to you with anything hard, that your family has each other's backs. And we know that a significant difference in how girls do comes down to one simple question. Can you talk to your parent about hard things and hard feelings? And when we see the answer to that be yes, we see a different trajectory for girls than when that answer is no. Now, we all know adolescence is hard. I raised two adolescents, so I know what I'm talking about. But that kind of connection is established very early on in life, and yet it's never too late to make it strong. And what I try to do in the book is give hundreds of scripts for helping you to do that. Because look, two things. If you have a history of childhood trauma, which two-thirds of us do, and if you have a lot of trauma, your brain is more likely to go offline and overreact or underreact when very difficult moments happen in the kitchen with your kid. There are good reasons for that. We could talk all about it, but I think you get it. Number two, we don't think clearly when we are triggered in high-stress parenting moments. And parenting has never been more stressful with the pandemic and economics. We don't think very clearly, especially if we have a history of trauma. So in those moments, scripts become really important, especially if we didn't hear those kinds of things when we were growing up. Like, hey, it seems like you're struggling. I promise not to ask you any questions, but I am right here. Or thank you so much for coming to me. I'm just going to listen. Let's sit here. Just having hundreds of go-to responses, or if your child says, hey, tell me what you think. This boy sent me this picture. Hey, I want to hear what you think first. What you think is much more important than what I think. Hundreds of these right here helps bring down our stress response, gives our kids that sense of safety and connection that they need. And from there, we can go into the 15 other antidotes, which apply across schools, across therapy, and in girls' lives. Thank God for you. Finally, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is seeing our young people today and knowing that they have the ability to learn this information and take it in, kind of like what you said a little bit earlier. Like, if you knew this is how your brain is responding, if you knew that certain things weren't going to be good for your brain. And if you were in a family in which that information was known and supported, I see girls going out there and just kicking butt. They're going to change our world. They're already changing our world. It's happening. And if we can just bring down the unrelenting stressors in girls' lives, imagine what will fly in this world. Imagine how girls will make our world a better place that is what gives me hope. Donna Jackson Nakazawa, you give me hope. Thank you so much for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Every girl thinks that they have to be better than the other girl. There's just a constant pressure, I guess, with everybody. Sometimes I'll say, like, you know, your stomach area is fat. And I'm like, wait, is it? Teen girls offering surprising details about their struggles. I see a lot of criticism towards me on social media. 
many adolescents having to confront the daily realities of new age pressures, from cyberbullying to modern dating. In some cases, parents left in the dark. Please help me spread the word about this episode of the podcast. Of all the episodes I have done, this one feels the most important. Because we live in a world where women are less than. It's ridiculous, immoral, harmful to our culture and to our families, and the costs just keep piling up. There's plenty of blame to go around religion, politics, social media companies, businesses, but the real blame lies at the feet of men. Men who create and maintain a separate set of standards and access for themselves and keep women out. And if you don't like hearing that, if that makes you feel like a victim, fellas, well, then you are part of the problem. Achieving true social societal equity for women and girls means overcoming the mental health gap as we overcome all of the other gaps. It means tearing down systems which cause the problems and rebuilding them in ways that solve them. And if you're not helping, you better get out of the way. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.